Hey, Rich Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Hey, man, you guys may be seated. Thank you for that. I'm just excited to be here. You know, I'm thinking about Christmas, right? Everyone's getting in the mood. If you're not in the mood, you better get in the mood, right? Because it's right around the corner. Saturday, some of us open up our gifts early on Christmas Eve, right? But, and then Sunday comes around and it's Christmas Day, we go to church. I'm gonna say it again, we go to church. Amen, we celebrate the King of Kings being born on Sunday morning and, and then, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we rest and we think about his goodness. And we've been in this series for a while, the Advent series. You know, and, and for those of you, I'll remind you, the Advent is basically the coming of Christ and the incarnate. Um, and basically, Advent, the root word there, the beginning word is Advent, and it's basically to arrive. And, um, and this, this evening, I have a, a verse, and before I get into the scriptures today, I just want to honor my pastors. Thank you so much for entrusting in me to be up here preaching and, uh, and serving in the, the pastoral team. Um, some of my best friends, man, is, you know, I just feel like this is such a good time in my life, um, and I don't ever want it to end, <laughs> you know, and, and so uh, it's just a good time, and when you serve Lord, when you serve the Lord, and you're serving the Lord with people that love God, and you do it alongside with them as partners in the kingdom, you know, you just get the energy, man, and, and you just, you fall deeper and deeper and deeper with his kingdom you fall in love with. And so um, this morning, or this evening, I want to read to you a verse that's a, that's a heavy verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and then we'll pray. It says this, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you came, Lord, that you rescued us, and we just pray that the next few minutes, Lord, as, as we read your word, that you would begin to penetrate the hearts and minds of your people. Let your voice be heard. Let your spirit be felt. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember when I first accepted Christ, I didn't really know anything about him. And uh, I was wondering, you know, why would a God create a world that wasn't perfect since he's so perfect? Right? Like, God, if you're so perfect, I kind of had an attitude about it. It's like, God, you're so perfect, then why on earth is all this bad stuff happening? If you're so sovereign, how come it looks like you're not in control sometimes? As a matter of fact, it's like, how come you allow evil and corruption to come into the world? If you're so sovereign, how come you didn't create it the way that it should be created and all it's perfect? But I also realize that you can't really come to the realization of how much you need God unless you have complete understanding of certain words. And, and, and in order to have complete understanding of those words, you have to understand the opposite of the word. 
And that's really as you've gone through school, right? For example, let me give you an example. You know, in order to understand love, you can't understand love unless you know what hate is. In order to understand salvation, you can't understand salvation unless you know what corruption is. In order to understand the complete understanding of grace, you have to understand what failure is. And that's how God kind of looks at it. So what I want to really focus on today is I want to take that attitude that I had when I first became a Christian, and I remember asking myself, God, what business are you in? And so that's what I entitled my sermon today is The Business of God. Is God, what business are you really in? What are you, what are you doing? You know, and, and so I started to think about the Old Testament, how they were just waiting for a king the whole time. So much as they, they started to beg God the Israelites started to beg God for a king. Some of you Bible scholars know that, that they started to beg for a king and God gives them a king. And it doesn't work out the way that they thought it would. They wanted what everybody else had. What everyone else had, they said, God, I want that. I don't want to do it by your way, Lord. I don't want to rely on you, but I want what the other people have. What the, the other nations have a king. How come we don't have a king? And for whatever reason, it wasn't revealed to them that there was a king coming, but there's a king coming. And they don't realize that he's coming. They don't realize what type of king they actually needed. They wanted the king with the nice robe, the beautiful crown, they wanted all of that. They wanted a king like the other kings. But I, find, I realize that we find ourselves in the same situation as in the Old Testament. Just like the Old Testament we're waiting for a king, we find ourselves waiting for a king as well. And my question to you this evening is, who is your king? And there's really only one, there's really only two avenues you can go. Your king can be either sin on this earth, which is death. So I ask you, is death your king or is Jesus your king? And so you can only be in two areas here, but we find ourselves waiting again for that second coming. How many are afraid of that? Right? It's a little scary thinking about, oh no, the rapture's coming. Why is it scary? Well, because of hell. I like to talk about hell. I know you guys don't like to think about it much. But as a pastor, I kind of have to think about it every now and then. And hell, and I've, I've talked about this earlier this year. I, I, I kind of preached a little sermon a little bit about hell earlier this year. And I remember there was a time where um, I, I, I started to read Dante's Inferno. Some of you probably remember this in my last sermon. I started to read Dante's Inferno, and Dante says this in that book. And no, it's not the Bible, it's just literature, okay? He says this, there is no greater sorrow than to recall our times of joy in the midst of wretchedness. He says, there is no greater sorrow than to recall our times of joy in the midst of wretchedness. In other words, there's going to be a moment where it's too late, right? And so we think about, uh-oh, am I going to make it in? Because everything is really built around your understanding of sin. You can't love Jesus or fall in love with him unless you believe in sin, and this is how God has kind of manifested his, his, his existence in giving us this complete understanding in life that we have to understand these heavy concepts. You have to understand sin equals death. It leads to death. It's a part of your carnal nature. You literally walk around with it. That's not fair. 
What the heck, God? Why is my flesh so corrupt? And this is what the people in the Old Testament had to go through. They were corrupt. They didn't really have a moral compass. The word of God wasn't readily published like it is today. Right? They didn't have smartphones where they could look up and read the verses. They didn't have any of that. And so what started to happen is the church started to be built. People started to get ideas of what hell was. And so I'm going to put up a picture here. Go ahead and put up that picture. This picture here was an early understanding of what hell was. Now, it's, I'm not going to say it's accurate, okay? But this is what Dante's Inferno is about. It's about hell. And it's about the levels of hell. And so what the early church thought, some people thought, was that hell had different levels depending on the sin that you were committing. For example, if you're lustful, you're going to fall into that second level, right? If you're greedy, you'll fall into that level. And each of these levels is a story of how people are suffering. They're suffering in different ways. They're suffering in different pains, some pain more than others. And the bottom there, you can see is Satan, right? And it sees even there on the bottom, it says Judas, right? This is corruption that is inside of us. You can go ahead and take that down. But I want to remind you that there is a hell. I know it's Christmas, and you probably don't want to think about that. But there's a hell out there. And you're going to see some of your family members. You're going to eat with them. You're going to give them presents. But there's a hell. There's a hell, guys. And so when you, when you begin to unpack that in your own life, is where, where are you going to end up when you die? Are you, you know, are you, gonna, are, you, are, you, are you wondering, where would I fall? I know some of you looked at that and probably saw that picture and you're like, uh-oh, where would I end up? My, what level am I? I'm gonna tell you something. You shouldn't be thinking that way. You shouldn't even, you, you're not on that spectrum. You shouldn't even be on that spectrum. You don't, I don't ever wanna see hell. But honestly, when you think about God, you think about his power, his purpose, his sovereignty. In Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, it says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You think about that and you say, oh, that's a nice verse. If I wasn't saved and I read that verse, that's nice and cuddly, right? It's, you know, but it's really the sin that adds so much more value to that verse. Understanding that God is in the business of something. See, in order to understand his business, we have to understand the origin. And I want to kind of dabble a little bit in Genesis today. I know, it's like, well, this isn't, uh, you know, it's Christmas. Yeah, well, it starts in the origin. And if I was going to tell you what business God is in, the first thing I tell you is God is in the business of manufacturing answers. Because if we didn't have these answers, we'd be roaming around aimlessly, getting lost in sin, going off the way we feel, and we would probably be hurting each other. See, we see this throughout the Old Testament where people went to God for answers. They would constantly reach out to him. God, I need this. God, I need that. How many do that? I think I do it all the time. God, hey, I need some answers. In the Old Testament, it was the same way. But there's an interesting understanding. God is trying to communicate things to us. And we see this in Genesis chapter 1 when he, when he begins to create light. The Bible says he doesn't create one light. He creates two. You're like, what? Yeah. Think about it. Now let's read it. Genesis chapter 1, 
Verse 16 through 18 says, and God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. See, I, I, I think about this and why did God create two lights? He could have just created one. How many of us are like afraid of the dark? Don't raise your hand. Don't, I saw a couple hands go up. You, you know when you're a kid, you, you, you get afraid of the dark. Sometimes, mom, I need a nightlight. Some of you have nightlights today. <laughs> right? Because darkness is what? Darkness is scary. You can't see what's coming. Right? It even sounds weird. Sometimes you associate darkness with silence, right? But it's, it's just different. You don't like to be in the dark, right? And so God, what he does is he creates two lights and you're just like, God, why didn't you just create like light, like just all the time, like daytime and everything just grows all the time. And there's, you know, it, but he didn't produce it that way. There's a science to this. See, what God is trying to do is he's trying to make you experience a little darkness in your life. Is it possible that he wants you to experience that darkness just, just a little bit, just a tiny bit, so you can feel uncomfortable, so you can feel insecure to come to him? Because you won't know security unless you feel insecure. Because then you begin to go to him and you say, you know what, God, I need to be in your midst, in your presence, because I'm fearful. I'm in this darkness. It's just a little bit. He shows you just a little bit, even at creation, just a little bit. Just a little bit so that you would know that he is there, so that you would know what true light is and how beautiful it is. This evening, I want you to understand that he is trying to communicate to you in your trials and your circumstances. He's trying to do all those things. Even in the Bible with Job, we see that God allowed Satan to tempt Job and to put him into those circumstances. Just a little bit of insecurity, Job, so we could see what you do. Where does your insecurities take you? Do they take you to drugs? Do they take you to addiction? Do they take you to people that aren't going to give you the right answer? It's just a little bit. It's a little bit of darkness. See, everything that is being created shows purpose, not just in the physical, but also in the spiritual. When God begins to create everything with his sovereignty, he creates processes. He creates the way that life is growing, plants, the ocean, the way, you know, water evaporates and rains again. There's a, our world is complex, but not only that, it's physical growth. He also gives us a way to grow spiritually. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If he's all powerful and sovereign, why is it hard for us to put our hope in him? I'm going to tell you, you're probably not putting your hope in him because you're just not convinced yet. You're not convinced that he is the answer to your sin. You're not convinced that your sin is even going to take you to hell. 
change, when you realize that, God, that you can actually go to hell, it changes things a little bit. You may shuffle things around and make church a priority now. You may make worship and reading your Bible a little bit of a priority now. Praying and talking to him becomes a priority. See, a lot of times is we're not convinced. We just want things done our way, but we forget in Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are ways or your ways or my ways, declares the Lord. See, God creates things to sustain itself, not just physically, but also spiritually. He creates things and he provides answers. He provides solutions for our lives. Even the smallest things, like I'm gonna purchase a new car, you put God in that. God, is this the right thing for me to do? God, I'm gonna go to school or I'm gonna take this job or I'm gonna do this or I'm gonna sit, you know, go to this ministry. You should be praying and asking God for all those things. But one thing that God is in the business of, not just providing answers, but he's in the business of blessings. And I know a lot of us are getting ready for the holidays. We're gonna unwrap a ton of blessings this weekend. Some of you are gonna unwrap a lot. Some of you are gonna think about what a blessing is. But you know, honestly, don't forget that we are serving a savior still. Not to be distracted by what's to come this weekend, but rather look at how much God loves us. That he would send a king. Francis Chan once said this, he says, not being able to fully understand God is frustrating, but it is ridiculous for us to think we have the right to limit God to something we are capable of comprehending. We are to not limit him in our lives at all. We, we, we wanna say, well, God's gonna think like this, and even me, I get questions like, what do you think God would say to this? I'm like, well, look, I know how God thinks sometimes, but he is so sovereign, I don't know. He's God, he can do whatever he wants. But he's so sovereign, and when he begins to bless things, he begins to provide the answers and he blesses them. He likes to create things and then he blesses them. And we see this, the blessing is part of who he is. In Genesis chapter 21, we see it right away. I'm sorry, chapter one, verse 21. It says, so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them in verse 22. It says, and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. We see that he provides a blessing even for those animals, for those things. He blesses them, he creates them, and then he blesses them. Genesis chapter one, verse 26, it continues. Then God said, let us make man. So now he's creating humanity in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female, and he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living creature that moves on the earth. So what God begins to do is simple. He, with man, he instills his image. He then instills his blessing, and then instills the dominion. So you're probably wondering, well, what's, what's the blessing? You're probably sitting there, what is the blessing? It ain't a Christmas gift. You know what the blessing is? 
It's probably not something you asked Santa for. It's not something you asked your wife, your parents, whoever. It's not something you asked them for. You know what it is? It's God's favor and protection. That's what it is. If you ask me, that is the most important blessing that God can give you in your life. See, when you get saved and you begin to say, God, I want you to have dominion over my life, he says, look, I put my image in you and now I'm gonna bless you and now I'm gonna give you dominion. He instills his image, instills his blessing, and then instills his, his dominion. But you know what's important that we need to understand is sin is still creeping at the door. The dominion given, sometimes sin can shatter us physically. And we think about, oh, sin is spiritual. No, sin has physical consequences to it. Sin is not just spiritual. It has physical consequences to it. So if you go out there and sin today, it's gonna impact the people around you. It's gonna impact you. It's gonna impact your spiritual growth. And we forget that. We think sin, oh, it's just a, you know, there's a war waging in another dimension somewhere. No, sin begins to manifest itself physically. The only way you could take care of it is spiritually. But it does manifest itself physically. But wait a minute, doesn't God give us dominion over both? He gives us dominion over both. Because we have to understand what God was trying to do was rescue man. See, since the fall of man, when Eve de deceived Adam, that was a joke, okay? Eve deceived Adam, took the bite of the apple, right? All of a sudden, we've inherited sin. So guess what? We're all sinners here today. All of us, every single one of us. It's called imputed sin, meaning that it's been transferred to us. Since Adam, it's been transferred to us. And so what we need to do is live out our life identifying that sin so we can fix it. It's like some of us, we've been to, you know, an AAA meeting, right? Where you have to admit your addiction. Because if you don't admit your addiction, you're not going to fix it. See, I'm trying to get you to realize, and so is the word of God, that you got sin in your life. And what is that going to do? It's going to kick off God's process in your life. And that process is salvation. In Galatians chapter five, verse 16, the apostle Paul gives us great insight on how we should keep in step with the spirit. And this is what he says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Are you guys feeling uncomfortable yet? Dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, the things, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were looking at that list like you were looking at hell earlier. Which one is he? Oh, uh-oh, he said it. <laughs> I didn't say it, the apostle Paul wrote it. Well, he touched everything there, huh? Well, that's unfortunate for some of us. He touched on everything. Because sin is that important. 
The C.S. Lewis quote, I think it was said two times this year. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without millstones, without signposts. In other words, it's the comfortable way. It's the subtle sin that is going to get you to hell. It's the one that you don't care about or you're not taking care of. It's the one that you don't think is a big deal. It's the subtle ones, the ones that doesn't have any warning. It's the sin that allows you to come to church and still raise your hands and worship. It's the sin that still allows you to walk into this parking lot and tell everyone that, hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's that sin. It's the sin that still has a smile. It's that sin that still manifests itself like it belongs here. C.S. Lewis also said this. He says, a cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. Why am I telling you this? Is it to be mean? No, it's just to remind you of how important it is that we take care of these things. So you gotta live your life like nobody needs Jesus more than you. Worship like nobody needs Jesus more than you. Pray like nobody needs Jesus more than you. Serve the church like nobody needs Jesus more than you. You need to have that attitude. You need to understand that you don't deserve it. My pastor, I love what he says. He says, just be grateful. How do you stay saved? How do you, how do you stay in ministry? How do you do it? We were telling him and his wife earlier, Pastor Isaac told him, Pastor Omar says, Let the, you're a saint. You guys are saints. <laughs> and, and it's true. Even when, we, when I get upset, they say, hey, Rob, hey, hey. <laughs> I'm not, oh, oh. But, you know, again, it's because of that. It's because of the gratitude. It's because you have to realize you don't deserve it. You don't deserve the king. You don't deserve the king. You don't even deserve the church. But we walk around sometimes like we do. Like we've earned it. Like it's entitlement. Well, you know, I've been doing this a long time, so, you know, I better get what I want or I better... And that entitlement creeps in. You know, honestly, entitlement is just a compliment from Satan himself. Just to make you feel better so you could shake his hand. That's what entitlement does. It's the work of the enemy. It's the work of Satan just giving you a compliment saying you deserve more. You deserve this, but you don't deserve it. Don't let the enemy lie to you. You don't deserve those things. But again, you should live your life like nobody needs Jesus more than you. You shouldn't. You should worship like nobody needs Jesus more than you. In Galatians chapter five, verse 22, the apostle Paul continues. He says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So you should have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He goes on to say in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In other words, we are corrupt, but there's hope with the Holy Spirit. We're to keep in step, walking with him. There is 
hope in the midst of this fractured state that we're in. In the midst of sin, there is still hope for the corruption that is inside of us. Romans 8, verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. See, we need answers to this corruption. So you call your friends, you call your family, when really the answer was King Jesus the whole time. We need to confess our sins to him. Let me tell you something. Yeah, I told you that God is in the business of blessings. Did you know confession is one of those? You're like, what? That's horrible. I have to tell my sins to people? Yes, you do. You have to tell your sins to people. People that you love, people that love you, tell your sins, confess them. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. In other words, in order for you to be healing, healed, you have to confess. But in order to confess, you have to realize it. You have to realize it first. See, what God is trying to get you to understand is, yes, you have corruption. Until you understand that, church, you won't really understand how much we needed a king, how much we needed a savior. In order to understand how the corruption affected us in our own personal lives and humanity, then we'll understand why we need his kingdom. But there's hope. The Bible talks about Adam. And we look at Adam and we say, Adam, why the heck did you do that? Why did you open up that gate? Why did you open up that door for sin to come into our lives? But we have hope. The Bible talks about a new Adam. In Romans 5, 12, as I read earlier, it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. See, God is in the business of reconciliation. He wants to reconcile you. He understands you're fractured. The question is, do you understand it? He understands your pain. The question is, do you really understand your pain? He wants to reconcile that. He wants to pay that debt. He wants to pay it off. Your sins, he wants to pay it off. He wants to rescue you. See, some of you are dabbling in that sin. You want to hold on to it. You want to mess around with it. But God's telling you, no, come back to me. Don't be messing around with those sins anymore. Cut the drinking, cut the drugs, cut the marijuana. I don't care if it's legal. Cut it. Because that's what God's looking for. Some of us dealing with lust. I like saying that word and just being quiet for a little bit. (laughs) Let it sink in a little bit, guys. Lust. Girls too. How can he reconcile you when you're just playing around like that? When you're sliding in the DMs all the time. I'm just gonna say something real quick. If you're sliding into some girls' DMs, and girls, listen up. If he's sliding into your DMs all of a sudden, that's a problem. 
that's a problem. I honestly don't think there's great things that happen with that. I think that there's intentions that go further than a, than a simple conversation. Well, I could talk to people. Yeah, but you know what? Be careful with that. Yeah. Ladies, be careful with that. Yeah. Just because you're getting some attention on your phone, be careful with that. Because, look, can I be honest? I'm a guy. I don't know if you noticed. Okay? I lived in the world, and it always starts with a simple conversation. And I would, I would definitely watch out for that because the enemy's creeping at the door on everybody. You know, just, you know, be mindful of that. When God is trying to reconcile us, Satan's trying to keep us away from that. C.S. Lewis says this, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. Like in other words, I'm gonna pray again because even though my prayer is answered, I'm gonna pray again. And maybe it will be praise this time instead of a wish list of things, right? I'm gonna pray again. I'm gonna do it again. I know God's working, but I'm gonna pray again. I know I'm in this circumstance, therefore I'm gonna pray again. Like I never talked to God before, but I've said it for 365 days. I prayed for it all year. I'm gonna pray on the 366th. I'm gonna pray again. Because every day we have to remember that we need to serve God as if nothing had happened yet. I remember when the, one of my favorite, and I think I've even talked about this before, one of my favorite moments in the Old Testament is in Numbers. The Israelites begin to groan. They begin to complain. They're wandering the desert. They've been freed from Egypt. And so Moses splits the Red Sea. I mean, it's just awesome things begin to happen. Miracles take place. I mean, literally miracles. They escape the Egyptians. And, and, and as they're walking around, they're like, you know what? Man, let's go back. Let's go back. I know, God, you rescued me, but I want to go back. God, I know you rescued me. You, you, you got me out of this, but I want to go back. And then in, in, in Numbers chapter 21, it says this in verse 4. And I'm going to read this. It says, there they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Now let's stop there and I'll read ahead. So there is no bread, that's important. There is no water, that's really important. And then there's miserable food. That sounds like borderline depression. I can't honestly say if I was in the same situation, like, God, this really, this is terrible. Why are we finding ourselves in this situation? And, and I just find it very interesting how God, how he brings us out of slavery, right? He brings the Israelites out of slavery just to go into a desert. Think about that, church. He's gonna bring us out of slavery where they're taking care of us food. Yeah, they had to work, but he's gonna bring you out of slavery to put you in the desert. There's no resources in the desert. There's no bread, there's no water, there's miserable food. How do you even cook out there? It's terrible. But they're out there. But they wanna go back to slavery. 
It's not any of us in here tonight, right? See, that's what, that's what happens with sin. God rescues you, but you just want to go back to it. God gives you a way out. He gives you the answers. He gives you the blessings. He even gives you the church, even though you don't deserve it. He gives you these things, and you want to go back to it. You, you realize, oh, well, it felt so much better on the other side with sin than it does here. So the Israelites are complaining. Watch what God does. This is what God does. You want to know the character of God? This is messed up. Look at this. Verse six. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many of the Israelites died. Let's stop there. Oh, how come God is so unfair? Remember I told you you need to experience a little, just a little bit of darkness. Just a tiny bit. So you feel the insecurity, so you realize you need security. Just a little bit. This is awful. People are dying. Verse seven, the people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Interesting. We sinned when, when, when did they sin? Let's read that again. That's interesting. That one just jumped out at me right now. We sinned when we spoke against the Lord. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's a sin. We shouldn't be doing that. But when we spoke against what? You, the leader. We spoke against you, God's chosen people, the people that lead, the people that lead people. Even when you speak against your leaders, you speak against your pastors to sin. So it goes on to say, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Did the people pray? No, it said that Moses prayed for the people. Moses, pray that the Lord would take the snakes away because we're dying over here. They're not praying. They send Moses to pray. Moses begins to pray. In verse eight, it says, the Lord said to Moses, make a snake, put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. He said, understand this. This is a very heavy topic. So God gives them instruction. He'll grab a bronze snake, put it on a pole. And every time they look at that, they won't die when they're bitten. That's their salvation. See, what God is trying to communicate is look at what God wants you to look at. Look up. Begin to look at that bronze snake. Begin to look at that pole. Just like Jesus was on that pole. Just like Jesus was on that pole, we are to look to the pole. Even when we look at it, we should feel God's presence. We should say, look, I have dominion. I'm reminded that a king died for me and I've invited him into my heart. See church, face the fears and uncertainty that the world's gonna throw at you with something alongside you that is greater than yourself. I'm telling you, serve Jesus. Look to the crucifixion. Jesus, the man that suffered, but bring salvation in the midst of your corruption, you still get salvation. In the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your, your slavery, you still get salvation. In the midst of your complaining, you still get salvation. In John chapter three, verse 14, Jesus said this, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. See, my fear, church, is that some of you will never come to the realization that the enemy is knocking at the door. We live a comfortable life. 
that we forget that the enemy is knocking at the door. In Romans chapter five, I'm gonna read a lengthy scripture for you. But in Romans chapter five, Paul really sums all this up for us. And I want it to be a reminder to you this week as we celebrate the birth of our king. He says in Romans chapter five, verse 14, so when their bodies died, it was not for their own sins since they they themselves had never disobeyed God's special law against eating the forbidden fruit as Adam had. What a contrast between Adam and Christ who was yet to come. And what a difference between man's sin and God's forgiveness for this one man. Adam brought death to many through his sin, but this one man, Jesus Christ, brought forgiveness to many through God's mercy. Adam's one sin brought the penalty of death to many, while Christ freely takes away many sins and gives glorious life instead. The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to the king overall. But all who will take God's gift of forgiveness and acquittal are kings of life because of this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's sin brought punishment to all, but Christ's righteousness makes men right with God so that they can live. Adam caused many to be sinners because he disobeyed God, and Christ caused many to be made acceptable to God because he obeyed. The Ten Commandments were given so that all could see the extent of their failure to obey God's laws. But the more we see our sinfulness, the more we see God's abounding grace forgiving us before sin ruled over all men and brought them to death, but now God's kingdom, kindness rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He reconciled us. In the midst of that corruption, he reconciled us. If I can have the worship team come up. I'm gonna ask you again, who is your king? Is it death or is it Jesus? What do you listen to? Who do you listen to? If sin is king, then you need a new savior. See church, the way you measure this is wants. You measure this by your wants. What do you want? Ask yourself right now, don't say it out loud, what do you really want? Do you want to be forgiven or do you want more of that sin? You should want to be in the house of God. You should want to raise your hands and worship him. You should want to serve the Lord. You should want to pray. You should want to learn more about his word. This is how you measure these things in your life. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis, my last C.S. Lewis quote for this evening. <laughs> but it's a scary one, so stop laughing. It says, the doors of hell are locked from the inside. The doors of hell are locked in the inside. And I know it's like, well, Pastor Rob, you should have talked about baby Jesus today. Why didn't you talk about the baby Jesus? Because when I want you to see baby Jesus, I want you to look at baby Jesus as someone that rescued you. Someone that has the answers, someone that wants to bless you, and someone that wants to bring reconciliation in your life. We serve a, a king. We serve the king of kings. And I think we look at that and we say, oh, we just serve the Bible. We just serve that thing. I just serve my church. 
I just serve, you know, I just do, I just do ministry because I'm told to do it. What I'm trying to tell you, you should want to do it. You should want to do these things, and that's how you measure yourself. Because we we live in a in a world that wants to bring us far, far away from the King of Kings. You say you want baby Jesus? Yeah, it looks good on a painting. It even looks good on a picture. Probably brings you warm, makes you warm, makes you excited. But I also want you to know that you have an opportunity to get things right with the Lord. Because what I do think is God's not looking for people to open up gifts or he's not looking for that. But I think what what Jesus wants is he wants you to realize all the blessings and all the answers he's given you because that's what he's in the business of doing. He wants you to realize that you have been reconciled. So the morning of Christmas, I know a lot of us get busy and we even have church, but you should be taking a moment to really assess where you are at spiritually. And are you under that process? Are you under these things? Because God is trying to rescue you from something. But you have to be honest with yourself. There is sin in our lives. There's no doubt about it. Every single person in this room, including myself, I have to reconcile every single day. I'm going to reconcile with you, Lord. I need to talk with you, Lord. I messed up, God. And I think that there's people in this building that don't really want to be honest with themselves and their spirituality. And so, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe, just maybe you're, you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what, I, I've never accepted Jesus into my life. Pastor Rob, I've never, I've never read the Bible. I don't even know if I'm saved. I'm going to tell you this. If you don't know you're saved, the chances are that you're not saved. When you, you know you have the king inside of you, you know you're saved, you just know. So if you're doubting your salvation, and you're saying, you know, I need to recommit my life to the king of kings. Maybe you've fallen away. Maybe you've gone astray. Once, maybe once you were serving God, and now you're not anymore. Or maybe, maybe you're there and you're just like, look, I've, I've about had it. I don't, I'm not enjoying church. I'm not enjoying my relationship with God. Maybe that's you. I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now in just a moment to come to the altar. I just wanna remind you that the doors of hell are locked from the inside. In other words, Satan's not gonna let you out. Once you're there, you're there. See, when you're honest with yourself, it brings confession. And that confession will bring healing to your life. And so this evening, if you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and you would like to make that commitment this evening, just lift your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you talk on the microphone or anything like that. Amen. I see that hand. You may put it down. Anyone else want to join this hand? You're sitting there. Your heart's probably, I see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else like to join these hands? Maybe you're sitting there and your heart's beating heavily. Maybe you're having some doubts. 
Maybe God is speaking to you and saying, you know what, I want you to rededicate your life. You've fallen away. If that's you, just lift your hand. I see that hand. God bless you. Maybe you're saying, Pastor Rob, I've, I've served the Lord for many years and you know, I, I'm questioning my salvation. If that's you, raise your hand. You need to come back to the Lord. Saying, you know, I did, I did accept Jesus at one point in my life, but you need to come back to the Lord. If that's you, just lift your hand. I see that hand, I see that hand. You may put it down. Anyone else? Maybe you're struggling with addiction. Maybe you're dabbling in sin. And that sin is your king. That means death is your king. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, you're dabbling into sin. You're not doing anything about it. You're ignoring it. You're letting it sit there. You're in the midst of recognizing the birth of a Savior this week. we got to make our hearts right. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand. I see that hand. God bless you. You can put it down. For those that lifted your hand, I want you to just do one more thing. Could you just look up at me? Just look up at me. Again, I'm not going to embarrass you. Did you mean that? Did you mean that back there? Did you mean that? There were several that raised their hand across this place. I want to do one more thing. I, want to, I just want you to come to the front. We're not going to embarrass you. We just want to pray with you. This is... I say this every time. This is the most important part of the service. Look, God is looking to continue reconciliation. He doesn't stop. God doesn't stop reconciling with his people. God doesn't stop forgiving. He doesn't stop that. God doesn't stop loving you. He continually loves you. And what you're doing here today is you're making a commitment to rededicate your life or to accept Jesus for the first time. And so right now, what I want you to do is bow your heads and I want you to repeat at me, repeat after me. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the grave. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life, to change my life. And from this day forward, I will serve you. So right now we're gonna have the, the prayer team just pray with them, amen. Let's give, them, let's give the Lord a praise. For my brothers and sisters, I just want to open up this altar right now. Maybe, maybe your heart is far from him. It was once closed, but now it's just far. You've gone through circumstances. You've got beaten up. The enemy's had his way. Sin is a constant in your life. You can't overcome it. I can't tell you what to do, but what, I, what I'd encourage you to do is reconcile that. Because our God wants to reconcile with you. I'm going to open up these altars. If that's you, I encourage you to come up. Just begin to talk to him. Just to begin to be honest with yourself. Confess your sins to him so that you may be healed. And as the worship team leads us in a song, I want you to think about his goodness. Think about the blessings, the answers he's given you, and the reconciliation he's promised.
Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.